We will be in 2 Corinthians 11. It, and you could turn there. I'd like to say, uh, just address a little bit uh, what we learn by doing uh, a summer one service lineup. And uh, we learn some things. Uh, don't you love the synergy uh, when the building is nearly full? Yes. Yeah, it, it's great. The more of us. Here's the thing we learned, and it's why we thought uh, and made not. It's easier on me to show up once. I feel like semi-retired if I just show up once. So, you know, I like it. The, the worship team loves it too. Here are some of the things we learn, and I learned it. Uh, you would, let me ask you a question. Which service, this configuration or the two services, which do you think we get the most attendance with? In this configuration, our highest number has been about 580, maybe five at the most. I don't know if there's that many here this that morning. I don't know, but not we, we're not packed. We're not packed. And Dave Albini and different ones have been counting. We've been averaging about 560, maybe 580 adults, not counting uh, children's ministry. When we have two services, we average 700 plus. So we lost 150 people in attendance by going to one service. Is that not interesting? But you never know that. You said, man, we're running more than ever because we're all together. But the two-service configuration, uh, two, we found out this. Now, hear this. We found out none of you like the bus. And you won't take it. <laughs> How many say amen? amen? None of you take the bus. And so you come in a little bit later today. Some people, and we have our security people and everything, once they throw a Molotov at them, they tell them people drive through the parking lot, keep going. Because American Christians are spoiled. They want it now. They want there better be a vacancy or I won't be there. So we lost people because we didn't have parking. The main reason we went to two services was not our auditorium. It was the parking lot. So we tried to free that up. Uh, our parking lot, let, let's say we hold about 200, almost 300 uh, parking spaces. And in this auditorium, if we see from right there all the way across, we can uh, seed about 900 people, okay? Now, here's the challenge. Next week, it will appear as a ghost town. <laughs> See? So what, and, and because uh, if I was in a good black church, you wouldn't get to pick where you seat. The ushers are in charge. Can I get a witness? But because you're in a mixed-up church, you, you said anywhere you want and don't mess with my seat. <laughs> so you all sit back there, and our first service, well, that may be the first four rows or something empty. 
And I'm preaching just to spaces. What you ought to do, going back to the configuration, because let's say, uh, okay, what if we put 300 people in the first service, 300 in the second? That's 600 people. Now, this section and this section alone will nearly accommodate 600. Okay? Uh, and we would like to get these people a bit where they don't have to sit all the way over there and see me. On, they don't even hardly see me. They have to see the screen. If you were next week, uh, and we were doing it for a while, but I ran out of money, we will give you special blessings if you sit in the front. <laughs> Start in the front, and, and let's go in these sections first, then overflow. We'll probably rope off that next week. Some, a lot of you move the rope, and you go ahead and sit there. <laughs> but it, it's ambiance, because when you put 300 people in a 900-seat auditorium, if it were two-thirds empty, See your mind. Just say, hey, man, nobody's coming. No. Now, when we were at Holy Ghost Hall, we could only handle 200 people. We were always packed. I went to little Pentecostal churches. And you know what was great about them? We had small buildings. So, man, we were packed. There was 80 of us. <laughs> we were packed. It was a small auditorium. So, next week, and some of you could pray you can pray about being on time. <laughs> I, I know you can't get blanket victory on Sunday morning, but if you get, if you really want to worship, so we're going to meet at 9, I like to figure out a way. Some way, if I, knew, if I knew how, we would put curtains. We'd bring you in and only open up seating as we grew. Uh, would anyone here think about this week calling one of those 150 people and say, hey, we're going back to two services. Do you ever call any brother or sister that's missing? I knew you didn't. <laughs> Are they worth calling? Yes, yes. Hey, they may have got discouraged or broke the schedule. We're people of routine. Let me say one other thing I learned our children's ministry, how it impacted. They were patient and kind. They worked with us. But it took and doubled their workload because now where they had 10 kids, they may have 25 kids in the same class. In the two service. So there's many reasons uh, that we go back to it. We want to give you a parking place. Americans like choice. Don't tell me I have to go at one time because I'm submitting to Jesus. <laughs> you better give me choice. That's Americans. Don't you just need one cereal? How many are there? Go to other countries. If there's one cereal, you're doing good. But we're so picky. We, we are just, we're really bratty at times about all the choices we want. So parking we want to make available. This and that. We have not grown with this one service. We have shrunk. And so guess what? And I've had pastors said, if you take away two services, you're going to shrink. I don't know why that's true, but we've seen it. Uh, am I quoting the right figures? I think it's about 150 off. So we're going to try to bring relief to our children's department. We want to provide parking. 
We would like to regain those who decided they could make it for whatever reasons. And uh, so in some ways, you may feel like we're beginning all over, and, and in a way we are, but you know what? Only Jesus can make his church grow. We're going to do everything we can uh, to help do that. But uh, it is a day many people have fallen out of love with God and church. They've, I think they fall out of love with church first, maybe. Uh, did you know a lot of people won't come to this church because you go to it? <laughs> I used to think everybody left. They didn't like me. I found out they don't like you. It's both. Really, I used to always bear the blame. I had a guy, I had people say, Pastor, I love you. I just don't like the church. I said, no, I'm the same. I'm Valley Bible. I said, no, no, we, we can tolerate you. But I just, we just didn't like the way, whatever. And I said, do you like Jesus? Would you attend the church he pastors? And some of you wouldn't attend if Jesus was the pastor. It's the, I'm going to start a series in October God's purpose for you in his family called the church. If you can't, if you don't fit and find a place where you fit in his church, the only thing Jesus is building on the earth is the church. He's not building your company. He's not. It's going to go up in flames. He is building a blood-purchased church. Where do you fit in it? Where do you fit? And I want to tell you, you weren't saved to be a spectator nor a critic. You ain't that smart. He knows more what's wrong with the church than you do, and he's not the critic of it. He's the builder of it. Turn to Second Corinthians. I just wanted to plug why we're going back. Can I get an amen? Does that make sense? Thank you. It takes about three weeks to get you to amen because I'm an antiphonal preacher. Um, let me, um, here's our subject today. Human inadequacy, the conduit for God's power. I heard a lecture that uh, Alistair Begg gave at a seminary a while back on this theme, I'm sure many things that I will be saying that sounds terrific, I'm probably, he's bled into me. He did a marvelous job. But I happened to be in the very book that he was preaching and bringing out human inadequacy, the conduit for God's power. It's, it goes this way in church work. You see it all the time. Uh, you have two extremes. You've got the people who say, uh, I couldn't do it. I, I, I'm not able. Uh, I'm not that talented. I'm not that gifted. Or you, I find people, I, I've been so bad. I've, I've done so many wrong things. Or I'm so unworthy. And, and they keep on. The feeling unworthy is one thing. It might be a sign of humility. But it can go to the point uh, God can't do anything with me. You just don't know how inadequate I am. Or you go to this other extreme of perfectionism. Uh, always, no matter how much or how good you are, it's never quite good enough. 
because it has to be nearly perfect because you're a perfectionist and, and, and it's got to be this way or you got someone groveling over here, unavailable, I can't, I don't have the talent, I don't have the whatever. And pretty soon you're caught in this dilemma, am I saying I'm so inadequate, I'm not available, or I'm so good that I'm being shelved by God because I've got pride. What, what is the biblical what is the biblical way we should approach this? Excellence in the Bible is not the elimination of human inadequacy. Excellence in the biblical scheme is not the elimination of human inadequacy, but the divine empowerment the divine empowerment of inadequate people. Biblical excellence is not the elimination of human inadequacy, but the divine empowerment of inadequate people. So everybody in this building is inadequate to do what God is calling them to do. Inadequacy, if you look at a dictionary, it says this, incapable of doing the task before me. That's what the meaning is. Now, let's get the Apostle Paul and what's going on. He's in 2 Corinthians, and now in chapters 10 through 13, he's coming all out to address his critics who are false apostles. They're emissaries of Satan. They're trying to rob you from the gospel, rob you from Christ. And so he is, um, as it were, frustrated with them parading all their credentials parading all their success. They're kind of health and wealth guys. They say that Paul says, I gave up even being paid. Well, in the Greek world, that means you didn't say anything worth being paid because you were measured by how big an honorarium you got on the kind of speaker you were. Great speakers demand great salaries. Paul says, I preach to you for nothing. And they're saying, because your message is worth nothing. Paul said, I came in weakness. I worked with my hands. I worked with leather. Uh, I didn't charge. I didn't do any of this. And they keep attacking. Well, you don't know how to speak. You're not authentic. You're not this. So, listen to what he says. Chapter 11, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. And what does he mean by that? Go back to chapter 10, verse 15. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done, 
in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Over 13 times, he's going to mention the word boast. That's going to be a leading thing. Uh, if we boast, we're going to boast in the Lord. Okay. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. It's not your press release about how great you are that will ultimately win the day. You cannot promote yourself and Jesus Christ at the same time. It's not him who commends himself that is approved of God. I'm a great preacher. Oh, you are? According to you, who? I had a preacher friend of mine that he was riding home from church and he was telling his wife there wasn't many great preachers. And he said, I can only uh, think of about five of them. And his wife said, well, I think there's one less than you're thinking. <laughs> it's not he who commends himself that's commended. Your commendation must come from God. Now he goes in, bear with me in my foolishness. How will you be foolish? We'll go back down to verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. In the book of Proverbs, a fool is a braggart. A fool boasts of himself. So Paul said, uh, I'm telling you, I'm going to act like a fool because I'm going to start giving you my credentials. I want to start telling you. And he said, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I, not, I don't say it as the Lord would, but as a fool. You, you see that? Verse 7, I know what I'm going to do right now is really foolish. I shouldn't even have to do it. What are you saying? Well, since they boast about the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, these false teachers, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Can you sense the outrage and the sarcasm? We wouldn't slap you. We wouldn't hurt you. You take it gladly when these false apostles rob you, slap you, deprive you. But I came to die for you. I came to give myself for you. So bear with me as a fool while I tell you what I've gone through to minister the gospel that I'm accused for being false. Listen. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, 
and often near death. Five times at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. The law said you could give a man 40 lashes in a beating. But if you exceeded it by one stroke, then they could beat you. So they learned to do the 39 to cut allowance. So that's nearly 200 lashes put on his back, of which many times you would die under one lashing. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Can you imagine? I don't, whatever the rod looks like. I don't know if shepherd's rod. Or, but imagine just a group of men weighed in on you with clubs. This is a gospel preacher. I'm telling you what I've gone through to make Christ known, and you're calling me false? What have any of us gone through? Once I was stoned, that was at Derby. I, I can't imagine. I, I, I just, I can't imagine. How does a man survive a stoning? Stephen didn't. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Had to be holding on to a log or something. No life preservers in those days. I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He asked Timothy to bring him something to keep him warm while he was in prison. Apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I thought you weren't supposed to worry. Same word, care, anxiety. Same word, Philippians says, don't be anxious about anything. Paul said, I'm just telling you, part of my whole, all of my suffering is I can never keep the church off my mind. I'm always got the church. Well, what do you mean, Paul? You worry, wor what are you worried about in churches? Listen to what he said. Who is weak? This is my worry. Who is weak? Who's being seduced into sin? Who's being seduced away from the gospel? Who is being uh, bailing out a church? Found out a man going to our church has decided to give up the faith. Should I care or not care? Big deal, just get a replacement. No, if he gave up the faith, he's going to lose his soul. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Paul said, I carry this. I started church in Ephesus. started church in Corinth. I started church, but I've got all these churches every day. They're on my mind. And I'm going down the list. Who's weak? Who's being picked off? Who's giving up the faith? Who's fallen into sin? Who is discouraged? Who is beat up? 
by the devil who's having conflict with the brother. Oh, it's a sleepless watch. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. That's what its daily care was. And don't most of us just want to go to a church, but I don't want to know any of its problems. I heard someone tell me here the other day, oh, that church is having trouble. And I looked at the guy and said, what church isn't having trouble? We're pastoring people in a fallen world. Every church is having trouble. Every church is under attack. Every church the devil hates. Come on, let's be praying for the churches. Don't compete with them. Pray for them. All churches are under conflict because we're in enemy territory. Do you care? No, I don't go to care. I go to get all my cares lifted. Only those who care can experience what Paul says. Now listen to what he says. Watch this. He's going to give you a theme right here, and this is what throws off. This moves him from the category of the fool. This is, this is outrageous, what he's about to do. This is the weakest thing he could have done. Are you ready? Verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is insane. Don't show the false apostles that you're weak. Don't show your enemy your vulnerable point. Don't. Don't tell another man you're weak. He'll take advantage of you. But he said, I will tell you I am a weak man. Let me be the first to say it. No one does that that wants to win and is proud. And then he says, let me tell you, even when I was in Damascus, they let me out over the city wall in a basket. You know what's amazing about that? Of all these sufferings, he winds up to, at Damascus. You know why? The last time you hear of Damascus in his life, he was taking an entourage of Jews to kill Jewish Christians in the city of Damascus. Now at the end of his ministry, he said, I was in a fish basket being held over the wall. I didn't come riding on a horse this time. This time I fled for my life. He goes on in chapter 12. He's carrying the theme. I'm just giving you the broad strokes. He watched. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And he starts telling about being caught up to paradise. Verse 5, on behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees or hears from me. And aren't we full of trying to make false impressions? And he says, I don't want to get, make you have a false impression that I'm a great guy. I'm a weak man. I'm an inadequate man. No, this can't be Paul. 
This is Paul. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, 5. Who is adequate for these things? I am inadequate for them, but our adequacy comes from God. He says right up front, John Piper went to a uh, graduation of a seminary, and the valedictorian of the class gets up, I want to give glory to God that having gone through the school, I am now adequate for ministry. And John Piper said he wanted to scream to him, said, Son, you are not, never will be adequate. No seminary, no anything. I don't care if you test a genius. You aren't adequate for this ministry. you got to get another source of power. And some of you say, well, I didn't go to school, and I didn't this. I, I've been that. Quit telling God about your weakness and start trusting him for his power. The power is sufficient for the inadequacy. What did he tell those disciples? Well, let me ask you, in all truthfulness, if you were building a company, would you pick the 11 apostles after uh, Judas hung himself? Well, you know, we always say, well, he obviously didn't know how to pick help. One of his hires committed suicide. The others all fled and denied him. Not too good at picking people. Is that the best you can do? That's what a lot of folks are saying about you. God must be desperate to get them in the plan. Say, yeah, God seems to be drawn to weak folks. That's why you're in it. Not many wise. Not many. He didn't say not any. One, one blue blood lady said, thank God I was saved by a letter. If he had said not any, I wouldn't have got in. But he said not many. Here's a man that says, look at, not, he tells about his thorn, and then he goes down here, and we'll look at this our next time. But he goes down to verse 9, and he's hearing this man share his weakness with the church. And he heard the Lord say, my grace is sufficient, let me add, for your inadequacy, for your thorn, for whatever. For my power is made perfect in perfect people. Where is it made perfect? Well, I wonder who that could be. Paul said, let's start with me. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. You're out of your mind, Paul. You don't tell people you're weak. They'll take advantage of you. I am telling you, I've always known I wasn't adequate for the job. But I'm operating off of borrowed power. So that the power of Christ, notice, my weaknesses, the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
If you were to read Second Chronicles 26 and the story of uh, Uzziah, it says God was with him and he became powerful, but it says in 26.16, he grew and became powerful until he became proud. And then he entered into the priestly office and thought he could act like the priest, and he walked out a leper, and they finally had to put the king of Israel in a separate house, and he died as a leper. And he'd been the king for 52 years. He waxed great in power until he became proud of how powerful and how much success he had. I must say, my fear and I warn I'm a thorn in the sign of every young preacher coming up in this church because you got to be humble when you're no good. And when we have to tolerate half of your sermons, I know I was out there preaching when I had no business. I'll tell you what happened. The battle with pride started when I started getting better. And I started getting more bookings. And larger churches were calling me. And boom, boom. Pretty soon I said, man, I'm, I'm getting well known. Guess what? Then I was the most vulnerable to satanic attack. And that's when I need to fail a little bit. Every man needs to fail just enough to depend. Because I've seen them get up in the stratosphere, and everybody, this is great, this is great. No, 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 I, I always become fearful. What will they do with success? In the early days of this church, God blessed me by giving me Phil and Luella Ross. And when they came to this church, uh, Westbury in Berkeley was having his struggles and was kind of going down. We were taking off like a wild blaze. It just young people being saved. The church was just growing, just growing. And they would, she always, she was a great cook, always had me over for apple pie. She's a wonderful woman. And she would always say, both she and Phil to the day they died, they said, Pastor, we're praying that the Lord will keep you humble. And sometimes I would get at their house and going through something, I said, could you cut it out? Would you pray he might protect me <laughs> from the critics and this? I said, I, I don't have a chance to get proud. I got too many critics right now. They said, no, no, no. We've seen many a young preacher arise and diminish because pride got in there. They said it all. Their, their whole ministry was, every, we're praying for you. I, would, I never had to ask what about. We're praying your head will shrink. <laughs> I said, good night. Give me a break. John MacArthur. I knew a man that was on the opposite side of a debate over lordship salvation with him. They were at a mutual conference together. John took the lordship view. Bob Graves took non-lordship. I said, Bob, how did the convention go? Blah, blah, blah. He said, you know, I disagree with John on that view. Okay. I know I'm kind of this view. Boom. And then he said something. He said, but I was the chairman of that convention. He said, Phil, I've never been around a more humble man than I was John MacArthur. 
I couldn't get over his humility. I said, you've got to be kidding. The boxer, the, the scrapper in the pulpit and the defender. He said, personally, the humility was overwhelming. I said, thank God. That's why he's lasted. That's why he's nearly 78. And still, God's using him year after year. Year after year. I borrow four points that I want to share with you. I'll steal them from Alistair's lecture because uh, I can't cover it all. Four things about this matter of admitting our inadequacy and our battle with pride and humility. Chesterton, a great Catholic theologian, said this. We are putting humility in the wrong place. We've got it in the wrong place. We'll say we're humble about the truth and proud about ourselves. We'll, we'll, we'll get a guy that says, well, I'm not sure what this says. I'm not sure of my message, but I have credentials. I got a doctorate, and I got a this. Otherwise, you're plenty confident about you, but you're not confident about your message. That This may not be the truth. He said, we're mixed up. We put humility in front of truth. Truth does not need humility. Truth is true no matter. We ought to be humble about ourselves that God would entrust such a message to bimbos like us. Don't ever doubt the truth. Doubt yourself, but don't doubt the truth. Doubt yourself, but don't doubt the truth. I have all kinds of doubts about me. Good, you should. Knowing you like you know you, you should have doubts. But don't be... We finally found something that's certain. It has no moods. It has no end day. Uh, it's true every day of the year. It's been true for thousands of years. It'll be true when you are buried and gone. This is the truth. This is the truth. It will hold you. Let's, uh, four things about this matter of our inadequacy and the humility that should come with it. A biblical look at it. Is it biblical? Two, the cultural setting we're in. Three, the contemporary church and this idea of inadequacy. Lastly, our personal attitudes. Biblical, uh, it's all over the Bible. Saw when you were small in your own eyes, I used you. Uzziah, you, I, I blessed you when you were humble about it. Pride came in with blessing, and you ended a dismal failure. Inadequacy has always been the uh, clothing of those servants God uses, and that lasts because their inadequacy keeps driving them to the source of power, keeps taking them. I can't. John 7, 15, 7, without me, you can't. Oh, you can do nothing. But with me, I can do all things. So you got to get them both right. I can't, Lord. And, you know, you get this humility. I can't. I can't. And by that, in a way, we get sick of it because we, we, we all struggle with the same inadequacy. I'm waiting for you to say, but I can in Jesus. 
I can do whatever God wants me to do because God says, you supply the weakness, I'll supply the power, and we'll form a team. Is that fair? You supply the weakness, I'll supply the power. And that's the book of Acts. So quit over All right, all right, you've said it long enough. Jeremiah said, I can't prophesy, I'm but a boy. He said, I'll be with your mouth, and your, my word will burn like fire in your mouth, Jeremiah. You'll prophesy to everybody I tell you to. Jeremiah 1.5. Isaiah said, I'm an unworthy man. My lips are dirty. I'm not able. But then God said, I'll put my coal on your lips. I'll remove your filth. Now what can you do? Hear my Lord, send me. Hear my. It's not all this, all the adequate, let's help out God. Let's help out God. Help out God. God's going to help you out. God's holding the universe in his hand. He doesn't need you, but once he calls you and saves you, believe me, he wants you on his team. He wants to model his power through your weakness. He gets glory. It shows off his strength. You ought to be encouraged. You ought to sign up today. And get rid of your excuses for why you're not available. I'm not able because you're not trusting the one that is able. I'm not able. Good. God knows that. I know that. You know that. Now, what are you going to do about it? I shall give you power to quit being cowards. I'm going to make you witnesses to the end of the age. You know, you've got some folks over here groveling. These are my different background, culture. I ran and grew up with people. There was no demon too big, no problem too hard, and they had one-tenth of the knowledge that some of you boast, but were as bold as a lion. Bring it on. In Jesus' name, I'm going to take it on. Then others over here, well, I'm praying about it, praying about it. When are you going to teach that fourth-grade class? Well, I'm inadequate. Oh, we all are. Quit telling me that. That's where we start. What will you do about it? Will you wait on God for his enabling power, for his guidance? You've got his word. You've got his spirit. You've got his command. I didn't save you to do nothing. So dependence is the life of all servants of God. I love what Moody said. Cracked vessels must remain under the fountain to remain full. So we're all cracked, and we all got to remain under the fountain. Two, the cultural setting. I love this, and I credit Alistair's comments here. He says, what is the thing going on in our culture but the self-esteem movement? Self-esteem. And he gives a report and I may not get all of this just right, but there was a man in uh, Britain who wanted to write on self-esteem <clears throat> and appraise it, and he went back, I believe it was 1980, and he looked in 350 British papers, and he was on the search for the word self-esteem. No use of it, no use. And it went, went along uh, by 1990. Three times in the paper. 
By the year 2000, it was used over 3,000 times. That we're in a self-esteem movement that says, you're somebody. You can do whatever you want to do. Graduation ceremony. Go out there, class of 2000. Conquer the world. Fulfill your dreams. You can do anything. No, you can't. You won't call this a motivation seminar, will you? <laughs> you can't. I got one of my grandsons been telling me for years he's playing the NBA. And I, how do I, I said, not on your life. You won't even be a water boy. Talk all the smack you want. You ain't going to make it, Anthony. I mean, come on. I mean, you can't handle JP, let alone, you know, LeBron. You can't. You can't. No, you can't. Self-esteem. And you can stand in front of a mirror all day, and you can't cough up enough self-esteem. You need a significant other to give you your esteem. And that significant other should be mother, father, should be in the family, but families are broken. And so when that's broken, I'm often reminded of what Suzette Saragosa said to me when she came to Christ. She said, I finally found the father I've always been searching for. God is the significant other that will make you have esteem. And it will be found in Christ. I'm in Christ. <laughs> Alistair tells about going to a football game in England. And here he grew up as a cricket player. He said the only reason he went to it is his girlfriend, who became his wife, invited him. And it was a British team, I don't know what it was, playing against the United States Army team. He said, I'll never forget the game. He said, they were sitting right by where the cheerleaders were, and they had some little chant they kept saying, you can if you can, you can if you can. He said, at the half, Army was 40, Britain was zero. And he said, I wanted to yell to the cheerleader, no, you can't, no, you can't. <laughs> if you can, if you will. Well, he said, the chanting, the cheerleading didn't make them win. But our culture is permeated with this. I'm somebody. I'm good. I can do whatever I want because I am somebody. And we're drowning in this. And at the same time, we've got more young people committing suicide. We have a drug epidemic that between prescription drugs, illegal drugs, anxiety, and fear is permeating all ages and all this internet access. Young people, let's say when I was 13, I didn't know what was going on in the world. Didn't need to. But that little phone, computer, I can know what's going on in Russia, what's going on in North Korea. I know world events plus what's going on in my home. It's enough to crush, and they are dying. They are dying. And besides that dying, 
the sexual disease epidemic, you wouldn't even think we are a civilized country. I've been in countries where they said we can't keep enough penicillin to curb syphilis in this culture. And our country is in bad way, and yet we keep saying, you're somebody. No, why don't you say, you're totally inadequate to meet the needs of life. You need a Savior. You need the Holy Spirit. You need divine guidance. And we keep saying, you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. We aren't making it. Thirdly, the contemporary church inadequacy. Um, I'm reminded of Luke 18, where two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican, a known sinner, bad person. The Pharisee begins to quote all of his tithing record, all of his good works. The publican is so ashamed of what he is that he bows his head, and all he could say is, have mercy on me. Jesus said, which one went home justified? Which one went home right with God? The Pharisee going down his religious duty list or the man that said, I'm too bad a sinner to ever look up in God's face. I need mercy. And we have to say with the contemporary church, if a boy, a girl, a man, a woman are in deep sin, deep trouble, would they ever think they could be welcome here? We have many people. It comes back to me this way. I don't want to go back to church. They'll jump onto me. We don't even know what you're doing, but you do. And you say, oh, if I go down there, they're going to jump on me. Alistair's illustration is, to outsiders, the church looks like a bunch of white porcelain jars. And they know they're a dirty crackpot. And they don't know where in the world they could ever fit. It's why I love Holy Ghost Hall. It's why I didn't want a building program. I wanted a rented warehouse. Because I don't like looking churchy to the extent that we got it all together. That is the biggest joke in the world. You know why? I know the pastor. I would think I could at least get an amen on that. I know me. So we don't have it all together. We're weak people that God has saved. And we've got to offer that hope to them, the world, to the lost. I want to wind up here. Our personal attitudes. Um, I hope you will own your inadequacy and let it drive you to God. And if you're infected with the pride that you think you can do it apart from God, there have always been men so clever that God could make no use of them. They could never do his work because they were so impressed with their own work. And uh, a great musical crit critic, Michael Sargent, heard a soloist sing a flawless solo and everybody was in awe of her performance and when they were going home somebody said 
what did you think of our soloist tonight? And he was a songwriter, famous musician. He said she was flawless musically, but it will take a broken heart for her to connect with people. I took my father to hear an upcoming preacher in my day, young. We took him to hear this preacher. When we were coming home, I asked, I said, Dad, what did you think of the preacher? He said, he did okay. And then a little silence. He said, he won't be worth much until he suffered at least some. And I think we need to know that we're all set up to be self-righteous Pharisees, either in our heart or in our perception to a fallen world that is desperately in need. The last thing we need is to shout, we got it all together. We're the adequate people. God kind of saved us because we didn't really need a deep work anyway because we were kind of nice to begin with. Now, why don't we just come clean and say, I am the chief of sinners. I'm saved by grace, and I'm not here to advertise perfection. I'm here to advertise the power and the grace of God that can save. That's our message. That's our message. And I need mercy and grace because I went over 10 minutes. So I'll just ask you, please, may the worst thing about you drive you to the best thing about him. He's gracious and merciful, and he's able. What he started in you, he's plenty capable of completing. But hear me, hear me now. If valley grows to 10,000 or if we shrink to 10, my sufficiency is in him alone. God bless you. You can go.